This is the podcast for the comic book bin, January 17, 2012. Hello, this is the second podcast for the comic book bin. This week we're joined with uh, Andy Frisk, editor extraordinaire of the Comic Book Bin, Dan Horn, which uh, we all met last week uh, at the first podcast, and Andy Dome, who's also going to be on and off guests and so on, sometimes moderator to the podcast, also known as uh, the guy who used to own Comic Wallet, uh, and one of my best friends. So um, this week is our second podcast. There's a lot of things we'd like to discuss, but the first thing we probably want to discuss is a sofa, but I probably should introduce myself. It's uh, Hervé Saint-Louis, publisher of the comic book. Is someone cracking up right now? Hello? That's better. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Uh, Andy Doan, anything to say about SOPA? Uh, well, I mean, as of today, the uh, it looks like the bill is starting to stall out uh, the various levels of American government. Uh, this is right on the, the eve of the, uh, the planned protest against the bill. Several large sites, including Wikipedia, Reddit, and Boing Boing are going to be blacking out their sites in protest of the bill. And Google is actually going to uh, link to their opposition, uh, a document stating their opposition of the bill on their main page. But that's all I know. Okay. Um, well, I know the last week's podcast on the sofa was kind of a very popular at the beginning. Very interesting. Um, uh, Andy Frisk, anything you'd, you'd like to say because you didn't participate when there last week? Anything you'd like to add to uh, the discussion before we move to something else? Well, the biggest thing about SOPA that bothers me is potential for censorship, which obviously anybody who writes and wants to uh, get their their word out there, their opinion is really going to be against. So, yeah, I totally, totally. Um, the, the censorship aspect of it really bother me. Okay. Um, Dan Horn, anything you want to say? Uh, well, I think um, things are actually uh, starting to look up. Uh, as Andy Doan had um, pointed out, um, just um, national politics overall are starting to really uh, take a turn for uh, uh, the betterment of the popular majority. We're seeing, you know, the Scott Walker recall in uh, Wisconsin and um, something that, uh, you know, might lead to one day um, soon the constitutional amendment scrapping Citizens United as well. So I think 
you know, the nation as a whole is on precipice um, for uh, social change. And I, I think it's a good thing. I think things are, are starting to look, you know, I think the nation has said enough is enough, you know. And uh, I think uh, SOPA is going to, you know, get scrapped. And I think uh, Citizens United is next. And uh, hopefully, hopefully all this, uh, you know, works itself out. That's good. Um, I guess um, Obama, well, some people see that an agent of change, so, oh well. That's another <laughs> discussion right now. <laughs> hey, I, I have, I have a, a kind of a question about this. What's, what's like a worst case scenario? Let's say that this, uh, the public outcry kind of falls flat. Let's, let's talk about if this stuff gets all pushed through, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? What's going to be, what's, uh, the internet going to look like on the other side of this, let's say six months out, uh, providing it passes. That's what, that's what I wanted to know what you guys think. Uh, well, I, I think yeah. Brett, Brett had, a lot of, had a lot to say about that last week about, um, things like YouTube and Facebook. And, um, you know, if, if you put up a, a viral video with a, a song playing in the background, you're looking at, you know, uh, possibly jail time and fines, but definite litigation, you know, it's, it's really going to restrict, um, everything, even things that we take completely for granted, like, uh, posting, um, uh, songs on YouTube to Facebook and, uh, things like that. I, I think one of the things that might happen is something that they tried in uh, in Canada. Uh, the same groups, well, the equivalent, the Canadian cousins of those guys. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Andy. Don't. Um, they they had a couple of bills a couple of, of uh, years ago, where and those were they they were struck down by the federal court, where the music industry and the movie industry tried to. They were basically going to tax every website a fee, so. Um, the video game association of the Canadian association came out against it. So they were going to tax every website. Let's say there's a music, there's a score playing somehow. They were going to tax that website for some money so they could pay for the artists and so on. And one of the things that the create the, the so-called creative industry wanted to do in this country, in Canada, was uh, they were claiming that the CRTC, which is the equivalent of the FCC uh, in the United States, um, had the had control over the airwaves or I mean over the internet also to censor and control Canadian content. So one of the things that they wanted to say is say currently the broadcaster, cable companies and so on have to pay taxes to some funds that are used to finance some uh, Canadian production TV shows. So they were going to do the same thing to websites and this is I remember because I did read about that at the bin way back. Uh, they were basically going to get through Revenue Canada access to our tax records, like in independent websites like the bin, and assess how much we should pay. So for, for that Canadian production fund thing. So basically they were gonna say, okay, let's say the bin makes that much money in terms of uh, advertising every month. Well, we're gonna tax them 10% of that income that they get. So we can put it in a fund and force them to pay for Canadian production. And we are artists, instead of paying and produce production studio, instead of paying for their own product 
and website stuff on their with their own money would gather money from including Twitter, Facebook, Google, and all the other companies would all fund this huge fund so they could have all those creators, those Canadian creators with Canadian content. You can see how much I really care about well, that stuff. Well, I can I can see that that sounds a, a heck of a lot more sinister than what's going on with SOPA. Well, that's probably one of the it, it would have probably been something similar to that in, in the sense that they would have held all those companies at the at the throne and being able to force them to say, well, now you're going to have to pay now because some some idiot play uh, posted some uh, some music on, on your website. So now we've we've got you and now we want you to pay now. And you, you guys are going to be financing everything we do from now on because you guys have a lot of money in the tech industry. So that's one of one possible outcome. Obviously, the most likely was probably going to be a lot of censorship and kind of a, uh, one thing we did discuss once uh, last year, Andy, uh, don't, uh, how the Internet is becoming more like cable uh, with channels and so on. And that's probably one of the things that they were going to push for to try to really control content online so all the mom and pop website that just show up especially in the comic book world where everyone can after a couple of years i mean you just work hard at it just like at the bin and oh you have a website and like you just bootstrapped it uh that would have been killed only majors would have been able to have like content sites already we have big companies they try to have their own comic site their own movie site their own gaming sites and so on like IGN is owned by one of those guys, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember which one. I believe it's the Fox Group and so on. Comics Alliance is owned by uh, AOL and so on. Um, little sites that Comic Book Bin would no longer be able to exist. Independent guys, no, because uh, we, we wouldn't be part of any existing network of, uh, of a media empire and so on. So that would have hurt a lot of the internet in terms of the different voices that we hear um that's one impact uh that's something i'm really and that's one of the reasons i'm fighting against sopa so much because uh it really hurts a lot of people and the creativity and allowing people to do stuff on their own like i know andy frisch right now you have your own block on music um little things like that would no longer happen because you'd have someone above you like behind you always telling you no you can't do this no you can't do that no you have to pay this you have to pay that you can't even write about this because we don't like what you wrote this. So we're going to start threatening you that we're going to shut you down unless you, you know, you play fair. The same way that the networks, the network TV doesn't quite, is not quite free and things don't just go as people would like, except for what is it? Cable access TV, whatever it's uh, local, <laughs> those things, everything else is completely sanitized and controlled and all the freedom of expression is not there. So that's probably would have been one of the major effect. Uh, yeah. That's what I was saying at the outset. It's it's the censorship aspect of it that's most frightening to me because sites like us, the comic book bin, we give a truly independent voice on what we read, what we feel, what we think about it. And if that independent idea or that independent voice doesn't fall in line with what the corporation is putting out the product, uh, feels, then they have an excuse to shut us down. Yeah. And that's that's wrong. Yeah. And over the years, a lot of people would have liked, probably liked us to be shut down. <laughs> that's part of our <laughs> reputation. It's happened several times where, that people really did not like what we wrote about them. And if they could have removed us from the face of the planet, they would have. 
but they couldn't because I pay the bill, they don't. <laughs> um, and exactly, it's you know we're giving opinions on a on a product. We're not you know slandering people or anything. We're we're giving reviews on you know items that we've purchased, that we've read, and what we think about it. And there's not always going to fall into the, oh, yeah, it was great. Everybody should buy it category, which is what the corporations would want them to say. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of reviews, let's 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 go into that. I mean, that's one of the topic I believe we're probably going to start uh, tonight. Um, you guys probably read reviews on other sites. Uh, I know it sounds ludicrous when I say it, but I don't. <laughs> I really don't read what's happening on the other sites. Uh, I, I used to years ago, but now I don't really care because it's all the same stuff um, and it's kind of boring. What do you guys think about online reviews in, in comics and so on? Uh, maybe we can start bringing in some of the topics. For example, um, I know you guys are really care about uh, 52 and so on. And the response on 52, it seems like the fans were saying something and the websites were saying the website, the information site except the bin, obviously, we're saying something else. So let's, you know, let's let's get into that. Who want to start first, Dan? <laughs> sure. Uh, one of the things that's really beginning to me is um, there's this new uh, word they're using to describe Rob Leefield's uh, work, uh, controversial. <laughs> and, uh, You know, I feel like um, everybody's using that word now. And the only way that you could describe Leafield as controversial is if you were saying he's controversial because he typified everything that was wrong with 90s comic books, and we're all still wondering how he's still making comic books. That's, that's one of the ways that I feel mainstream... Uh, comic book media has kind of like, hey, you should, uh, you know, you should probably like this guy and his work's pretty awesome. And, you know, you see what happened with Hawk and Dove. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, Leafield, I, I think Leafield is uh, often the whipping boy in the comic book industry. Um, and you know what? I've, I've exchanged a couple of tweets with him very briefly on Um, and I've read stuff from him, like interviews he gave in the uh, defunct magazines from the 90s. The guy has been a target for years and decades of a lot of people. Um, he's, for some reason, well, I guess there's a lot of creators like that. They seem to bring out the worst of people and people just like to pile on them. Um, you know what? I think Lee Phil is a, an okay guy and you don't have to like his stuff. Um, it, my view is that we need guys like Lee Field as much as we need guys like Neil Gaiman. We need all of those guys. Comics should not be one thing. It should be all those different things. So you know what? Lee Field occupies a space in comic book that's valuable. It may not be for everybody, but he has, he brings a type of energy into comics that works and a lot of people like that energy and i wouldn't like to have a in comic book industry where guys like leafield cannot get work anymore because we all pile on on them and say no you can't work anymore here or 
Lee Field, you're from the 90s and, and it's your fault that everything went wrong in the 90s and so on. You know what? There's a space, there's a there's a spot just like the, I always say there's a spot for Archie comics in the world. There's also a spot for comics by Lee Field. And yeah. I'm not gonna crap on I, him. I definitely I definitely see what you're saying, but it, it seems like it, it just seems to me that there are certain comics that are aren't very good by any stretch of the imagination. And uh you know, it's I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, when you look at someone like Leefield, and you know, you mentioned like Neil Gaiman, and um, they have a certain style, they have a certain thing that they're strong at, um, but they don't stick to it. Like Gaiman pretty much does. You don't really, you don't see Gaiman writing Superman because he, he's Sandman. He's more of a literary, esoteric, you know, semi alt comic kind of guy. But then you have someone like Graham Morrison, who's the same thing, and, and wrote you know this brilliant series called The Invisibles, and now he's writing Batman and Superman. It doesn't really seem like his style isn't cut out for that. Just because an, uh, a comic book author comes out with something that's really unique or interesting, like you know Sandman or um, The Invisibles, doesn't necessarily mean that they they're equipped to handle Superman. It's a different kind of deal and that's what bothers me like Liefeld probably he can't or Leefield how do you say his name he has a spot but I don't know if Hawking Dove is it yeah hmm um Andy Dome <laughs> do you even know who we're talking about <laughs> yeah well, I, know, I know Rob Leefield like, okay uh, cool he, he's he's part of the reason why um I don't look at uh comics from the 90s anymore like they just they, they stick out in my collection as uh uh, I don't know. There's it. There's definitely something about that style co having come through the '90s as a kid that uh, I'm glad it's over with. And every time I pick up a, uh, anything that he's done art on, it just takes me right back to those those painful memories. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> sure, he deserves a spot. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but it, it's just it's just something about that style that hasn't he hasn't uh, he hasn't evolved. As a person, I mean, not as per maybe as a person, but I mean as an artist. Yeah, well, I, I can see where Hervey's coming from too. You know, there was there at least to some people, there's there was a reason that he's now, you know, uh, synonymous with comics from the '90s. You know, he had his uh, moment in the spotlight. You know, people did enjoy his work for a little while, at least, at least part of the comic book community. But, yeah, I agree. I, I'm not, not a fan. Well, the thing about his art, too, was at the time, it was incredibly radical looking compared to your Gene Collins and people like that. It was something completely out of left field that was very interesting visually, but didn't really sure, have staying, yeah, didn't have staying power. Um, where someone like Jim Lee, who I also equate with the 90s, his style has staying power because it's very proportioned, it's very detailed, it's very, you know, the choreography is good in it, everything looks right. Um, but with Liefeld, I mean, the joke that I've heard is Liefeld didn't go to art school, and he's a comic book artist. Well, yeah, it kind of shows he didn't go to art school. I mean, kind of testament to what we're saying about Rob Liefeld is, 
Image is now relaunching all of the Rob Leafield comics uh, with people that are taking like radically different um, approaches to those comic books. Like Glory is no longer uh, disproportioned uh, Barbie-looking character, and um, you know, Supreme Evangeline. Is, yeah, Evangeline. Uh, yeah. Supreme is you know going back to the Alan Moore weirdness, yeah. not the. Um, prototypical Wii Field stuff. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And I think that departure from those archetypes that Wii Field set up kind of proved that those were dead-end archetypes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That, that, that sounds spot on. Yeah. We're talking about the 90s and, and stuff coming back and things you're rolling, Dave, not to kind of pull us off topic, but um, has anybody out there ever read any of the old Valiant comics from the 90s? Uh, I'm a Valiant oh, guy. Well, you know they're coming back this year. Valiant Entertainment's coming back. Yeah, they're yeah. releasing um, Exo Man of War. Yeah, they had a press release today. Yeah, I got their press release. Yeah, Vendetti is uh, writing Exo, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah, I really cannot wait because I was a huge Valiant fan, and I know that they did a lot to help crash the industry with the Chromium covers and stuff like that. Yeah. But when they first were going on under Shooter, man, those were some of the best comic books I'd ever read. I once read a quote that it was the most exciting and fresh comic book universe since the birth of the Marvel Universe. It I was. kind of agree with that. It, it was. was really cool. Uh, I'm yeah. one of those old-time Valiant fans. Uh, I go way back... Uh, I don't know if you guys know Harbinger. Yeah. Uh, I actually have yep. the authentic zero issue of Harbinger. Not, oh, not yeah. the one that they published later, the one that you got in the mail because you actually bought the first six issues at the time when it was a nobody. <laughs> so I actually have that one. Uh, I've got all the early issues of all the, the Valiant. There's a, just a few of them I'm, I'm, that I'm missing. I'm missing like Ray issue two and issue number three. Uh, oh, I've got those. The Japanese Ray, not not yeah. the, the old one, the, yeah, white, the white face guy, not the not the not the guy with the guns, the other, the first one. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's all I'm missing in my Valiant early Valiant collection. That's the only thing I'm missing. <laughs> yeah, the whole collection has like 600 and some odd issues, and yeah. I think uh, it's like 670 or something, and I've got like 650. Wow. So yeah, I understand you, Harvey. I'm a big uh, I'm a Valiant fan. There, I used to dive in tons of quarter bins to find those things. Yeah. I love them. No, yeah. they, they were great energy. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh, oh I'm done. Uh, okay. I was going to say, I think Exo and like uh, the Valiant Turok were up there with Batman and Superman for me when I was a kid. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up in the 90s. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I look forward to Exo and Turok more than I look forward to, uh, you know, Batman and Superman comics. They were like... Uh, my bread and butter, I guess, when I was a kid. I remember Exo Manowar, there was an issue, one of the early issues, where a dinosaur just bit him and, like, destroyed him completely. <laughs> yeah. And was, it, it, was it the crossover between... Uh, um, I think that was at the end of Unity. I'm not, I don't remember anymore. But okay. he, he was bitten by a dinosaur, and <laughs> he had to go, like, underground, actually, and heal himself for, like, two... Not two centuries. What, uh, yeah. Something yeah, like that. Like years, like uh, millions of years, he had to go underground and heal himself. 
That was crazy. Uh, yeah, that's how he walked up in the modern time, being kind of like a man out of time character. Yeah, the second time, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that was really crazy. That, that, that's, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, Valiant had a lot of cool stuff like that. My favorite character of the group was Eternal Warrior. Yeah. Because he's been alive since basically the dawn of time, and he was the fist and steel of the earth, and uh, people mistake him for being uh, Gilgamesh and stuff like that. And I was yeah. like, wow, that was just so cool. Um, Andy yeah. Doan, do you remember Valiant? Were you a Valiant collector back then? No, I, I totally missed out on all those. Uh, it sounds uh, pretty awesome, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're probably going to reprint them. I mean, I know uh, the stuff in Valiant, like the, the one thing I like about them is that they had that house style. Like, even though the artists were a bit different, but they had a way of drawing that it was like the Valiant style. Yeah, that was, I think Bart Sears was really an integral part of that. Yeah. And that is, that is a creator that I really miss uh, nowadays, Bart Sears. I really wish he was doing more stuff. Bart Sears yeah, was very, great. Very... Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I like Bart Not Sears. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that Barry Windsor Smith had a lot to do with the early uh, Archer and Armstrong and oh, um, Eternal Warrior too. And yeah. that, that was some of my favorites. Archer and Armstrong was my favorite. I mean, the it was like a buddy buddy thing. This big beer drinking bum, and <laughs> yeah. and this it innocent was the Eternal Warrior's brother. Yeah, he was just a bum, like drinking, like a hobo. That's that's what he was. And and the, the young guy, um, another crazy guy. They were just fun. I mean, just fun comics, like a lot of fun. They, it changed when the, I think they had Mike Volsberg uh, to do the illustrations after a while, and someone else did the script, and that changed a lot after that. But the humor in there was just crazy. Um, and um, the thing that Barry Windsor Smith used to do is put a lot of, uh, what, what's the word for that? Uh, hidden, uh, you could call them Easter egg, but kind of a provocative imagery that he would put all over the comic book. And it was kind of crazy. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially whenever he started drawing Master Dark, the big nemesis guy to Eternal Warrior. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of really creepy, weird imagery. Yeah. That he was associated with. But the... Uh, oh, man. I, I just remembered another great fiction series from Valiant. Did you guys ever read uh, Ninjack? Uh, oh, yeah. Not <laughs> that was a good much. one, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, good comics. I'm glad that they're coming back. I'm not sure if they're going to recapture the same energy that they had. Uh, but, obviously, there's a lot of Valiant fans uh, out there, people who remember the good stuff. Um, and they were great comics. One thing that I'm like, they won't have the mix of having Turok, Solar, and uh, Magnus Robot Fighter with them. Uh, I don't think they're. I think Dark Horse. Uh, yeah, Dark Horse uh, has the right to those. Now. Mm -hmm. And the Jim Shooter is the one actually writing those. I started reading them uh, when they came out. I think two years ago. Um, the stories were not like Jim Shooter for me is. He's, he's one of my idol in comic books, which is kind of weird because a lot of people hate him. But for me, like I wrote the article way back when, who's the C job in the comic book industry? And I truly believe that Jim Shooter was that guy. 
Uh, he's the guy who had the vision, um, who did tons of stuff and rebuilt himself generation after generation until he was just uh, kicked out of the comic book industry completely. But that guy, so much creativity and so much brain power, and then other people didn't g get what he was doing at the time. So they always criticized him, even though like he had a whole vision of stuff. But people would go after him and not understand what he what he was trying to do. And they kicked him out of Marvel. Then he tried to borrow Marvel, kicked him out of there, tried to build Valiant, got kicked out of Valiant, um, built Defiant, Marvel sued Defiant to until he was destroyed. And then he had that other company, company um, I don't even remember the, the third company name, but that one just didn't go anywhere. And but he found ta talents. What's his name? The guy who does um, uh, the guy the guy started with Harbinger. Um, what's his name? Uh, some of the the coolest talent. Um, what's his name? That guy. He's currently writing a book for DC or Marvel. Uh, he's that guy. He publishes solo stuff. Um. I'll find a name. I'm just gonna start um, shouting names. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Andy, <laughs> um, Andy Doan is a. Uh, you're gonna. I guess you're gonna leave us soon, right? Yeah, I gotta drop off here soon. Okay. So just wanna uh, just uh, say something else that Andy Doan. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'll be away. So Andy Doan's probably gonna be the moderator. But uh, I just wanted to introduce Andy to everyone, everyone, all the listeners, um, so they know a little bit more about him um so uh well andy anything last word before you leave us no i'm a I'm, well i'm a, I'm a, a veteran uh veteran podcaster but uh i'm also a, a a big comic fan i've been a lurker on comic book bin for a long time so i look forward to uh moderating some discussion obviously my my knowledge of comic books isn't as vast as uh, some of the guys we got on here so i'm looking forward to moderating some good discussions in the near future Cool. All right. Looking forward to having you. Cool. Same here. Look forward to it. All right. Yeah, bye, guys. Okay, bye. See you, Andy. Um, okay. So, some yeah, of... Uh, Jim Shooter was... Yeah. He the one that... Uh, he started out really young, didn't he? Yeah, 15 or something. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, he wrote a story, or he submitted a story for Legion of Superheroes, I think, to yep. DC. Yes. And then they were like, okay, cool, what else you got? And that's like how he started. Yeah, he was like 15 or 16. Yep. <laughs> he was a kid. <laughs> that's insane. But uh, I don't I don't think he was the only one. There was a couple of guys like that uh, way back. But uh, yeah, and throughout the years, I mean, Jim Shooter rose to the rank and went to become uh, editor-in-chief at Marvel where he did change a lot of things and people blamed him for a lot of crap also happening at the same time. Um, but I would say that Jim under it's under Jim Shooter that Marvel really became like more like what I would call commercial and more proactive. Um, and the, there's thing that I'm pretty sure that Valiant did under the, under Jim Shooter. I've written about that in the past. I remember when I bought, those uh, Harbinger comics, the first six ones, you had to you had to mail in uh, that coupon back to uh, to them. A couple of months after that, uh, I I start getting uh, in my mail at home. Um, I start getting stuff from a comic book 
distribution companies and uh, you know like mail order comic book companies and stuff and that's something that people do right now you register on a website a lot of them not the comic book bin <laughs> but a, a lot of other websites you register they will sell you your information to marketers and so on um i would say that this is something that jim shooter did way back so and the, the whole thing with the coupons he started that one first that in terms of marketing that's something very valuable when you have your fans and you know who they are and you can actually target them and in some case as he probably i, I never was able to clue in exactly if it was me sending myself to valiant that got me on that list because i mean there was no internet back then right <laughs> so how else would they get my name <laughs> as some guy interested in comic books when there was no internet and no trace of me because i used to go to a comic store um, and certainly not the comic book store would have sold my information they, they didn't even know where i live i mean i, I was just an, a file number for them but it was always interesting that he, he they, they had the foresight of doing stuff that now is considered common. Jim um, Shooter was a pioneer of uh, junk mail. <laughs> well, that's, for me, it's, I call it marketing. And I, in a sense, it, like, we don't do it at the bin. I have to repeat that. But um, it is something, if you're a marketer, it is valuable information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my memories of Jim Shooter come from those early 80s Marvel books where um, they, you know, and looking back on them now, obviously I didn't think this at the time, but looking back on them now, they were really quality stories and really put together well, but they also were marketed very well, like you're saying. Yeah. And it wasn't the kind of marketing that was intrusive or you must buy this, whatever, but it was just the right kind of thing that would catch your attention if you were a comic fan and hook you into wanting to read something else. Yep. You seem to have a very, very subtle, but very strong grasp of how to do that. Yeah. I, I really, I think it's a, I mean, that's, that's a Steve Jobs kind of quality, I believe. So, yeah, he, he's, he's a legend. Yep. So, yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to start talking, I know you guys are passionate about 52. We have to start talking about 52 now. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of re relaunches and um, changing of characters and so forth and so on. Uh, in a newspaper 
you know, mm-hmm. and it was uh, about Superman fighting, you know, whatever that was in the first issue. And uh, it was so flowery and broke everything down into like minutia. And it was like, who, what newspaper writer writes stories like this? <laughs> you know? And I was like, yeah. you know, that, that was it for me. Um, I totally see where you're coming from on that. Uh, I think the thing that I liked about it was how it it really kind of metatextually looked at what DC was trying to do itself. It's like an old media versus new media. With you have a paper comic book and you have digital comic books, and how are they going to coexist? And you know what's this? The old time reporter versus the new time reporter. Well, both have qualities that are you know worth adhering to, but they both are kind of against each other. And so I appreciated that aspect of it. But as far as literally, yeah, the writing, actually, no, I agree with you on that. For me, it was more the theme of that book that really set the tone that I enjoyed. But um, okay. ever since then, it's been back and forth for me. Yeah. Um, I, I started yeah. reading it for the first issue, so it's like, you know, I, I couldn't care less about Superman. And action comics as well. Graham Morrison's action comics has not been consistently great. So that's kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm going to drop that now or if I'm going to keep reading. Last issue was pretty good uh, with um, Andy Cooper on art. But, mm. um, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. It's been really hit or miss. Yeah, I think um, the, the Graham Morrison run, the last issue, the one that I just reviewed, I think it was Action 5, um, where it we basically told the origin of Superman, but it told it from this perspective of the ship he came in was telling it. I thought that was pretty yeah. brilliant. But yeah. then if you look back at every issue, that there's they're not all brilliant like that. Yeah, and exactly. Morrison's throwing in way too much of his own, you know, his own psychedelic stuff, and it's really not that much. But it, the hint of it is underneath the <laughs> the surface, and that's not Superman. Superman's a sci-fi guy. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's I feel like the thing, the thing with Morton's, uh, I'm sorry, Morrison's, uh, I mixed Grant and Morrison's, <laughs> uh, the thing with Morrison's psychedelic outlook is I feel like he gets really detached sometimes, and it's just like, this is what's happening, and it's it's not very immersive. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I said, he can write a brilliant, like I said earlier, he the Invisibles was brilliant, but you knew going into yeah. it, you were on, you were going for a head trip. Superman's not a head trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the same thing with the filth. I think the filth was one of his best works, and that was just a complete head trip as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote about something similar to that uh, when he did. A, was it Final Crisis, the one with Darkseid? Oh yeah. And all the villains. Yep. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it was kind of funny because I was taking a course on constructivism. Uh, don't even ask me what that is. It's actually, well, <laughs> it's one of those uh, one of those ism in uh, I guess humanities and social sciences. Uh, yeah, like a like a critical theory or something. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Except they don't study stuff the same way. I don't know. They look. They, 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 there is a detachment. And I remember that when I looked at it as a constructivist piece, I'm like, wow, this is marvelous constructivism. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, in terms of a regular comic book, no. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 
which was kind of, kind you know, of interesting. You, you talk about Final Crisis, the best thing about Final Crisis to me was Greg Rucka's um, Revelations. That was the only thing that I really enjoyed out of Final Crisis, his little miniseries there, which kind of set okay. up Handel's Average as Kane. <laughs> yeah. Which doesn't matter now because all that's live play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, a question like that, speaking of Dark Side and stuff and uh, Final Crisis, how do you guys feel about having Dark Side being the 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 main villain of the Justice League right now? How do you feel about like how Jeff Jones is using the most I guess the most popular cosmic villain from DC and using him as the anchor of the Justice League instead of uh, the Appalachians and and all that stuff. How do you guys feel about like the way he's like re remarketing all of that stuff? I think I think you guys know how I feel about Jeff Jones. <laughs> I'm pretty. Uh, I, I can't. Uh, I'm not a big fan of his. I didn't like what he did with Green Lantern. I thought he turned it into Star Wars space battles that just got mixed wings and tie fighters. Um, he's just, uh, I, I feel like his work is juvenile and, um, I'm really, really lukewarm on Justice League. I really dislike the first issue. It's gotten better since, I think. Um, but uh, I mean, the sales figures are what, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess are testament to, you know, his fan base and Jim Lee's fan base. Yeah. And I think... I think they're doing a good job of, um, you know, rebuilding the Justice League from the ground up. I can't say that I personally like it a whole lot, and uh, you know, Burke um, said I think was, uh, was a decent choice uh, for the main villain. But like I said, uh, it's not something that I, I enjoy that much personally, but. Um, Obviously, uh, close to 100,000 other people think that it's brilliant, you know? Well, one thing I, I felt was that I thought that Jeff Jones uh, with the New 52 was going to be free of trying... Because I, one of my problems with his former stuff was that he was always trying to make everything make sense. Even like one-off issues that introduce some one-bit character that no one ever cared about. Or yeah. he would try to like make it work Superman. together. He would have to build this entire thing where it all made sense. And I, that annoyed me because um, I don't like when things all have to make... For me, they don't have to make sense. You can have that one little thing out there, that one character that appeared only once and never appears again mm -hmm. and has no influence in, to anything else and just disappear and stuff. And, and that was one of the things that annoyed me. But one of the things I realized when I looked at Justice League was that Jeff Jones was basically recreating the superpowers, uh, super friends, which I know he's a fan of. Uh, where Darkseid was the main villain, uh, Darkseid every episode was trying to get Wonder Woman to marry him. <laughs> was trying to kidnap Wonder Woman so he could marry her. And he was the main villain in, uh, I believe, not Challenge of the Super Friend, but one of those series uh, with... And, he was one of the main uh, superpowers. He was one of the main villains too. Uh, that's way back. Oh my god! I just aged my. I just gave my age. <laughs> you dated yourself. <laughs> well, I'm. I'm pretty much. Uh, I'm pretty much the opposite of you guys on this one. I think Jeff Jones is borderline genius with some of the stuff he does. Um, 
Like, I really never cared at all about Green Lantern as a character, as a superhero, as a comic book. And then when, I didn't even know, he, I mean, I, I knew he was like dead or a ghost or something floating around for a while there. And then he brought him back and brought, tied the story up and reintroduced him. And I was Green Lantern fan until he left it, pretty much. Um, and to me, that was that. I really liked the way he integrated everything and made everything make sense. Well, I and then was... when he did the, when he did the whole Sinestro Core War, I think it, he was really um, putting out some great commentary on the war on terror stuff that was going on at the time, and um, you know, letting fear rule you and. You know, but fear keeps the, because Sinestro wanted to keep the universe in line through fear, but the Green Lanterns wanted to keep it through law and order, and I think there was a really good philosophical debate going on there. And then, of course, what he did with Superman. I mean, my gosh, you know, Secret Origin was awesome, and it doesn't count anymore, um, but it was great. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I, I stopped reading Jeff Jones stuff uh, after the early issues, uh, after a couple of Flash issues, after. Right after he did the Mr. Cole, what's his name? The the Cole guy. Is it Mr. Cole? Captain Cold. Yeah. Captain Cold. Yeah. yeah. He did a brilliant issue on Captain Cold, like a profile of Captain Cold and a couple of other issues. And I dropped everything to do with Jeff Jones after he started he, he had the Flash build this giant bridge between Keystone City and Central City. Uh <laughs> that's when yeah. I said, Okay, this stuff gets to me. Uh, I mean in it was nauseating the way he would make everything fit and explain over explain everything and that's when i stopped reading jeff jones for quite a while i really well i agree i mean jeff jones he's not perfect by no stretch of the imagination and when you're writing so many comic books you are going to get a little wacky here and there but i think mm -hmm. his core stuff for me personally his core stuff is really really good okay. but you asked about dark side in the justice league yeah i think that actually Putting Darkseid as the main villain is actually a pretty good idea because if you really want to show that these superheroes are these new, the way they're presenting them now, like they're they're kind of feared and they're kind of powerful and they're you know we don't really know what they're up to, but we know they're heroes, but we're a little afraid of them. Well, I mean, Darkseid is basically supposed to be the devil, and if a couple of superheroes can stand up to the most evil character of all time mythologically, which is supposed to be Darkseid, I think it kind of establishes them that, they're, yeah, they're a force to be reckoned with. But, but maybe I'm looking into it too much. I don't but know. How, how do you top that up? How, what do you do next if you use Darkseid as your first yeah. big villain? <laughs> yeah, you have yeah, yeah. way too really. <laughs> I mean, because then you have to go through Despero and all those guys and all the O's. Remember when they, they did well, that then, in your, uh, all those... Rob Leafield will take over, so it'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how do you continue something like that? Uh, I know they're going to bring it to the present now. Um, I can't wait to see how he handles that. But I'm actually, uh, what I was trying to say is that since the new 52, I've actually given Jeff Jones a second chance. Uh, I'm reading Green Lantern, which I had not read uh, since the 90s. Since, uh, and Aquaman is okay. It's not great, great for me. It's not bad. Because one thing I, one, the problem I had with Aquaman was that you notice in the first 52 issues, they all had like a, a cliffhanger ending. With, with Aquaman, he had a different take with that one. He was slower. So kind of 
it's it, I feel like okay, so everyone else has this formula that they have to introduce where they have to in the first couple of pages the threat has to be introduced and at the end of the first issue there has to be a cliffhanger for the next uh, to be continued. But Jeff Jones I felt did not kind of respect that formula that everyone else was I believe was forced to do at DC. But Jeff Jones got away with not having to do that. So his Aquaman was actually more laid back. Uh, so f part of me felt all the other stuff, we jump in right away and there's a story. And Aquaman was very slow. So the first story that wasn't bad, but it felt to me like some of the early Justice Society that Jeff Jones wrote, like the one with the, 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 the God character that was uh, Omian or something like that, on Tanagar. I feel yeah, dog. Uh, I don't remember that name, the, the guy, but he was a the guy that controlled the Nint Metal on Tanagar. So he just creates oh, okay. this god like creature on this planet. The heroes fight him, they defeat him, but he never explained the backstory or any of that stuff. He did exactly the same, kind of the same thing for the creatures of the deep, whatever they're called, the trench. So he introduced them quickly, they get defeated, and most of them get destroyed, I believe. And that's it. Like, not more, no more backstory. Uh, it's not bad, but there's something missing. Even though I know a lot of people do like Aquaman right now. Um, but I will say this thing, it is the freshest Aquaman I've read in a while. And I'm hoping that they're going to stop trying to mess with this character all the time. Which is something I wrote in a recent article about... If you cancel the comic book, next time you bring back that character, someone's going to mess up with him. One of my issues with the cancellation, if we're going to do a segue, cancellation of the six ones. Like I, I, I wrote an article just uh, on Sunday on Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific. Which yeah. I really like the character very much. But I feel that mm -hmm. they've kind of burnt him out. And from now on, he's going to have that lagger that, that he's a loser character. He can't sell his, he can't hold a series anymore type of label on him. And that the next time someone tries to write a Mr. Terrific something, they're gonna they're gonna change him completely because that's what they do. Hawkman, how many times did they, they, they try to change Hawkman, Aquaman, the Atom, Firestorm, all those characters, even Green Lantern? Every time they re, they bring them back, they change everything about them because they think that instead of focusing on it was a creative team team that was a bad one, they think something was broken with the character that they need to fix. With a character like Mr. Terrific, it annoys me that someone's going to one day try to fix him when he... Well, first of all, they try to fix him for that series because they made him completely different from the guy in the Justice Society. He wasn't exactly the same guy. Uh, yeah, he didn't seem to be like a polymath anymore. He was kind of like a black uh, Reed Richards. Yes, and I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. That's not him. And the problem, I guess, with that comic book, he was missing the family. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to copy Fantastic Four, which I think a lot of the Fifty Two are doing, is copying other comic books like Black Hawk. If I'm not mistaken, was a GI Joe, the same writer. <laughs> yep, it uh, was. It was exactly GI Joe. <laughs> uh, Just uh, about characters you didn't remember from your childhood or care about at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't think that Mr. Terrific's necessarily going to go down that road. He might, which would be very unfortunate. But if you look at another character, again, we go back to my favorite Superman. Mm -hmm. um, over the years, Steel has kind of done that. 
he was one of the four Reign of the Superman characters, yeah. and then he kind of was off on his own. He had his own series. He was, you know, a super genius. He built this awesome suit. Then he became like it became like a liquid suit that was part of his body, and then <laughs> that went away. And then he started having other stuff. But now he's finally come back, and he's pretty much what he was to begin with. A smart guy with good morals who wants to get out of there and fight the good fight like Superman does, and he's doing it his way by building his armor suit. If these characters have this core to them, then some a, a writer who realizes that is going to come along and say, "Hey, that's what worked. This is what we need to build upon." And I was so glad to see this still came back, even though now he's not part of the Doomsday story, which I so much liked. Um, but I'm just glad to see him back. You know, <laughs> and I think that there's first potential there for Mister Terrific to come. For him to come full circle like that eventually one day, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah, maybe. Do we know? I guess, uh, I was going to say Earth 2 is all about the JSA, but I guess that's going to be the original team, huh? Who knows? Uh, I'm hoping that they're going to keep some of, like, the new Doctor Midnight instead of the old one. Yeah. Although they were clones of each other, I mean, I don't, there wasn't much different. Uh, I'm hoping they're going to clean up a lot of the crap with those characters. Um, some of those characters were good, but I'm just hoping that, I think that they there were too enough. many of them. They tried to make them all so prevalent. Like Owlman, okay, he kind of ran his course. Wildcat, he ran his course. You know, characters like the original Green Lantern, Alan Grant, were still viable. But yeah, they tried well, to make them all like they were just, oh my gosh, the greatest characters ever. No, some of them weren't that yeah. great, so they could kind of fade away. The thing, the thing about Owlman is, I think his original incarnation was really interesting. And then when they turned him into the time-traveling android, the, yeah. the nomenclature Hour Man didn't really even apply anymore. It was like, oh, this guy's not interesting. He's just a super-powered android. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? He was oh. the vision of the DC Universe, basically. Well, exactly, I, yep. I like the Hour Man that they had, in, that uh, James Robinson wrote in uh, The Golden Age. I don't know if you guys remember that miniseries. I don't. The Golden Age was, a, it was published in the 90s, mid-90s. I know what you're talking about, but I, yeah, I don't know if I've ever read it, but I know what you're talking about. Okay, so in there, he was basically, well, that was taken from the Roy Thomas material, but he was an addict, kind of, and he was on the run from the from the law and so on, and he was a Wait, tough this guy. Was a, this was a 90s character, you mean? Well, it an was a miniseries. It was just a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was just a, a, a mini-series, I mean, just a four-issue thing. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, interesting in the, in that. Um, Wildcat, I disagree. Wildcat is one of my favorites. Um, he's that no-nonsense guy that just won't die uh, in terms of everything, in terms of, like, like he, he has no business fighting villain. I mean, what he has no powers. Right. <laughs> he should be killed. He should be killed yeah. easily. He's the first one in line to, to get killed all the time, and he always comes back. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of like him for that. Um, and, and they did develop the character a, a lot over the years. Um, Green Lantern, the original one, obviously, for some reason, there's something... The visuals about him are so cool. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, the colors... I mean, sometimes I ask myself, was uh, the guy um, colorblind or something? Like... <laughs> But it, it kind of works. He, he really harkened back to the, the golden age. With yeah. The four color scheme kind of thing. He really stood out like that. But the fact that he was an older guy, 
he was in the 60s or 70s or whatever, it worked because, yeah, that's what it would have looked like, you know, back in the 40s as a superhero. So, uh, yeah, what the other ones, uh, the other 52s that are canceled, uh, none of the other ones I've paid attention to, I, I know Static Shock uh, got yep. canceled. Um, mm -hmm. Which other one got canceled? Uh, let me check real quick. It was Static Shock, Hawk and Dove, um, Blackhawks, Men of War, yeah. Mr. Terrific, and OMAC. Yes. OMAC, I think, is probably a loss, even though I sh probably should have probably should have been buying that book. The yeah, you know what? I've heard a lot of good things about OMAC, and I was kind of surprised to see that one on the cancellation list instead of something else. I yeah. think that the character was just too Kirby looking, too crazy Kirby looking to actually resonate yeah. with anybody. He didn't look cool yeah. enough. Oh wow! So that was the idea. That's that the whole, idea. That's why I liked him. Yeah, he looked cool. And I feel like there is a big Kirby fan base too. I mean, look at like Godland, and now they've got you know uh, Kirby Genesis and uh, all this other stuff. Jack, well, I agree. I agree, but you got to see what you got to realize what the Fifty Two shooting for. They're shooting for the Twilight crowd. That's why Superman's yeah. a lot teenager now. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the Twilight crowd don't know who Kirby is from. You know, Edward or whatever his name is. So mm -hmm. that's what the that's what the Fifty Two is shooting at. They're trying to be the edgy, the edgy emo crowd, sort of. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah there's no room for a Kirby yeah. character in there. <laughs> so um, you guys think that uh, Marvel's going to try to shoot for? The same Twilight crowd. Another segue. <laughs> I don't well, know if you guys read the if article. If to do what you suggested they might do, I'm going to quit reading them because right now <laughs> they're proving that you don't have to reboot your entire universe to actually make a character dynamic. Okay, guys, Wolverine. Okay, Wolverine. Logan is a professor of English literature. Dude, that I is know. awesome. I love that series. It's great. And that then is, uh, Avengers vs. X-Men is totally going to ruin that series because it's going to be months and months and months of crossovers between yeah. that book and the main series. I mean, they're, they're totally... Same thing with Daredevil. Now, Daredevil is... Mark Wade's Daredevil is maybe one of my favorite comic books right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe of all time. I, I, I really love it. It's funny. But he's a secret Avenger, you know, in a couple months. It's going to be months and months and months of crossovers with Avengers vs. X-Men. And that's going to make me stop reading. He's going to be part of that crossover? Yeah. What's that? Is he well, officially going to be part? They're all going to be part of the, the Avengers vs. X-Men. They're all going to have a massive crossover. It's going to bog it down. Kind of like the way um, uh, Fear Itself did with um, uh, the New Mutants, which was really rolling along great. Then they had like two or three issues where they were crossover with Fear Itself. And I almost started yeah. reading it. Yeah, that killed the, yeah. the entire series, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, okay, so they're, so they're doing that again. I mean, you would think by now they would know. <laughs> you would think so. <laughs> but like you said, yeah, weird itself, that killed, that killed David Liss's uh, Black Panther, too. The Black Panther was awesome before Fear Itself. Mm-hmm. I think that when they when they need to realize that if you take a you, you look at the new Greg Rucka Punisher, he's a part of the Marvel universe, but he's not part of a massive crossover, and it's actually the best Punisher comic book. I actually read a Punisher comic book for the first time in twenty years um, because it's so good. 
and you're taking Wolverine, you're making him, you're making the character grow and develop. That's the things that people want. That's the things that I want to read as a comic book character, as a comic book fan. I want to see these changes in my characters that are natural over time and that are interesting. I don't want to see him cross over and see Wolverine scratching Captain America's shield again. I've seen that before. I don't want it. I want what I'm getting in the books right now. What Jason Aaron's doing, what Greg Rucker's doing, that's where it that's where it sits for me. That's what keeps me interested. <laughs> but I don't know. That maybe that doesn't work so well on the bottom line. Maybe that's not a good marketing plan, but I'm trying to get them to realize, yeah, dude, a lot of us like that kind of stuff more. Yeah. But I mean, uh all I ever heard about was people being um dissatisfied with fear itself. But if you go back to Diamond's uh, monthly sales while Fear Itself was going on, that was always in the top five selling books of that month. You know, so it is. It is about the bottom line, I think. Well, I wonder if those books are just easier to market than an intelligent, you know, slow building but gripping story like what's going on in the Punisher right now. That's a little bit harder to market to a mass crowd. But if you say, "Oh, Captain America vs. Wolverine." Well, that might be a little bit easier to market, unfortunately, and therefore bring in more dollars. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I don't know. Marvel, like the last few years, the last two years, I think Marvel's stuff has been crap, um, including Invincible Iron Man, which I know everyone loves because the artwork is so gorgeous, but it's still crap. Um, well, I think it started well, and then it, went it down started the quite well. The started it, it was really strong when it started, but currently it's just crapped. Mm. I, I don't like it. Um, and for, as part of the SOPA thing, I decided I was going to cancel a couple of books, and that's one of them. Uh, actually, yesterday uh, I finally went to the comic shop for the first time in well, the second time in 2012 because I haven't had time to read any comics, which is kind of funny to say. Uh, so I went and picked up my comics and I just canceled two because I said I would I would start doing that and replacing them with uh, independence um, because of SOPA and I canceled Amazing Spider-Man and I canceled Captain America and you know what I I don't miss them at all <laughs> yeah well, that's how I feel I think of, um... oh go ahead Amy I'm sorry I was going to say, um, that's how I'm probably going to be with Valiant. If that really turns out to be great and kind of stirs in me what I used to feel, I'm probably, unfortunately, going to drop a lot of the 52s I'm reading. Except for Superman, because I'm just a silly Superman fan, even mm -hmm. though I don't like it. But. Okay. But basically, what I was going to say, too, is I recently dropped a lot of the new 52 that, because I'm kind of I'm kind of behind on my reading anyway, and I don't have a, a ton of time to read stuff that I'm not completely invested in so i dropped a bunch of them and you know i like clearly said I, you know i haven't missed them at all so <laughs> i guess they weren't that great well that's the problem with yeah. comics a lot of uh, one issue is that they don't know how to keep people on um they they don't get that once you drop a book it's very difficult for that person to pick it up again mm -hmm. um in my case, I made a conscious choice to replace it with something else. But most people just drop a book and don't replace it with anything else. And that's how people drop every year from the from reading comics and so on. Although we know that people are still interested in comics and, and, and the stuff in them. It 
it used to be that there was a lot of stuff that you could replace your current reading list with. Now, it's, it, for some reason, and it's kind of weird, especially coming from me at the comic book bin, because I should know better, but it's very difficult. It feels difficult to find replacement stuff in the 90s or even the 2000s. I, I, like, hmm? I don't agree with that. You don't agree? Right now, I'm, a, I'm on an Image Comics kick. And Image Comics, believe it or not, has such a wide array of uh, genres and comics in their lineup that mm -hmm. I could easily spend $50 a week, you know, just on Image stuff. It's like, their stuff is so good. And Hervé, I encourage you to check out some of their stuff, like Morning Glories is good, Tiggs is good. Well, my, uh, the, the guy at the comic store is actually yeah. helping me with Big that. Cal is awesome. um, the My local comic book uh, store owner is helping me mm -hmm. with that a lot, which is something that if, if comic book store owners or clerks are listening right now, they should do what the guy in my local store does. Is that I tell him that I'm gonna drop those books, but I need a replacement. Uh, I don't know exactly what I want to read, but I said give me something that's better. And he actually, he's actually the one that's doing a lot of the work and telling me you need to look out for this thing, you need to look out for that. And he's kind of proactive into actually dropping it in my box. Mm. He's gonna be the one ordering them for me in advance. It's kind of, I mean, stores don't do that. Not, they don't give you that kind of service, but that, they, they should probably do that. So instead of having me like drop one comic until I, I've got no, nothing else to read, obviously that won't happen because of your comic book bin. Um, yeah. But uh, instead of letting me just drop off, he's actually proactive and in, in, in saying, you know what, I'll find you something else that's not from DC or Marvel, and I'll make sure that you like it. My local comic book shop owner, the one that I frequent, he'll do stuff like that. Like he'll, um, if I like, like I'm, he knows I like Superman. So if something comes along that's Superman related or similar to it or a sci-fi character, he'll put it in my box and give me the option, excuse me, the option of buying it or checking it out. Um, and if I don't want it, then I don't have to buy it, obviously. Yeah. But he'll do that. And I think it's a great way to keep the, to build the industry and to build readership. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. More of them need to do that. It, it, yeah. it's, just a, it's a small gesture. And I mean, those guys that probably have more, they spend more time looking at comics than we do. Uh, but when they do it, and if, if they could extend that kind of service to people that are really not, that are really casual readers and not hardcore, and be patient with those readers, I'm, I'm pretty sure there would be pro probably more comic book readers. In my case, obviously, he knows I'm from the comic book bin, so he, it's kind of a, an understanding that <laughs> uh, no matter what happens, he, he needs to find, you know, he has to find me a, a book anyway. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like, I guess it's an account he doesn't want to lose, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's really exactly. weird in that sense. But so he's he's actually aware that, okay, this is a guy that matters to comic and uh, if he thinks there's nothing good, I need to find him something else, <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I, it is a service that com the, the local comic book store can do. And that's probably one of those things that uh, if we want to jump around, uh, digital comics won't do for people. This is, I mean, people have to discover on their own. There is a value to, to going to a, an actual store and talking to people. 
um, spending 30 minutes, 15 minutes talking to the guy when he has time, obviously. Uh, there, there is a value in, in that. And just shopping around and looking around. Uh, yeah, the browsing, I, I feel like the browsing is totally different between the uh, digital uh, storefront and an actual comic book store. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I still don't buy digital comics, um, I have a, my one main issue with them, and, and this is funny because it's coming from the most, the, an archcore hardcore geek with several phones and tablets around him all the time <laughs> and aware of everything else that's coming up. But I still don't buy digital comics for one reason, is that they're not portable, which is... If I want to take it from my iPhone app and put it elsewhere, on the Android app maybe or something else, I can't. And that's the one reason why I don't like digital comics because they are not portable. You can't take them away with you. Versus my, my good old floppy comic books, you know what? I can do whatever I want with them. I can, send them out of, I can burn them if I want. I can make wallets out of them. And no one's going to stop me. And yeah, I can also lend them to other people and have people being interested in them, which is a good value of getting more people into it, interested in comics. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, my friends that have never read comics before, I haven't, you know, given them digital comics to read. I've always given them hard copies, and that's that's been the, you know, impetus for them getting into comics themselves. Yeah. I, I, I don't see digital comics as a, a viable replacement at all. No, but it's I think, not. I, I do think the digital storefront does have its place, but I think it's, it's not good for new readership because all you're seeing is, you know, top selling items on your, when you're browsing and it's a little hard to find uh, exactly what you're interested in. Yeah. And you have to, is detrimental to the experience of what a comic book is. I mean, you get a comic book in a paper form and you sit down and you read it and you look at every panel. I think that when we see things on a computer screen, we're more apt to browse over it and click past it too quickly. And I think that if you, if that's the only way you're going to read your comic books, then that's not good for the industry because people are going to be like, okay, what was that? Took me two seconds to get it. Or we're at because we're such a, you know, fast click society on the internet. Um, soundbite society. I think that with the actual book that you send down, you put some time into, you're going to get more out of it. And then you're going to remember that experience and come back to it more with the paper book as far as a digital. Well, I think copy. there's a place for digital comics, mostly what they call web comics. Uh, I think there's a real, um, those guys, I really believe that, and I mean, there's a distinction to be made between what they call digital comics and web comics. Digital yeah. comics uh, yeah, are usually yeah. considered to be those on the on the on the devices, on the phones, the tablets, and so on, or the apps and so on. Versus web comics are those that are really on websites. I think there's a there's something to be said about the web comics themselves. I believe if my my view about web comics and not digital comics, I don't, I think digital comics are a fad and they're not going to last, and they're not very good. I, I don't think they're 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 not entertaining to me yet. But I believe that web comics are the complete opposite. And currently, it's a mine gold of crazy stuff just waiting to be discovered. And if there was a way, I know there's a lot of portals that 
cater to that, but they, I don't know any one of them that do it the right way to make me interested in their stuff. You know, but there's a lot. There's there's a lot of web comics that needs to be discovered. And if anyone listening here tonight is a web comics person, um, do know that even though I I wish I could do more about web comics, please hit the comic book bin the mo the more that the most that you can, knowing that the guy the publisher at least of the comic book bin has a special spot for web comics and believes that web comics is where a lot of the innovations in comic books are going to come from so that's why i want to hear from you guys web comics people i want to hear from you guys because i believe you guys have will steer the industry in the future even if you guys print your stuff afterwards because there's a lot of that and i think that's a great model um but i do believe that we need to pay a lot of attention to web comics because there's a yeah, lot when of you stuff say, there. When you say web comics, I totally agree because that's something that's made for the media and yes. I think that really is the future. Exactly. That's, an, that's a totally different thing from a digital comic book. Exactly. I agree, so, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. It's formatted for web viewing. Yes. So it has, right. a, has a feel it needs to come across in the right way when you're viewing it on a, a screen or digitally. And I, I totally agree. Um, and I actually, this has been on my mind for a couple of days now. I was reading a really great webcomic. I'll have to do a write-up on it on uh, the bin someday. But um, well, now. Why don't you tell us about it right now? I'm pretty sure that creator would like the... Okay, sure, yeah. Um, it's PowerNet. Let me see if I can look up um, the URL here. And creator... <laughs> Powernap. Uh, it's by Maritza Campos and Bacan, and it is at powernapcomic.com. And it's uh, it's really funny and interesting, and it's fairly new. It's only updated about a chapter and a half into it, but already it's really um, grabbed my attention. Um, it's about a guy in the distant future who has an allergy to what they call Z-Sucks, which um, make people not have to sleep, ever. And since he has this allergy, um, he still has to get about, you know, eight hours a night to, uh, of sleep to function properly. And uh, the comic book is about his misadventures in a world where everybody works 16 hours a day, and he's you know, falling asleep on dates and uh, at work. <laughs> so it's really interesting. So I encourage that everybody to check it out. Yeah, it is. It's really great. And the part that I'm at now is has this awesome uh, <laughs> corporate uh, metaphor in it that I loved. But I'll let you guys discover it on your own. Uh, I'm already interested. I mean, that's a, that's the kind of stuff I, I when I say that I believe that's the future. It's a completely different model from the DC Marvel stuff, but I and it's also the kind of stuff that will capture the interest of people that are not traditional comic book people, um, comic book fans. So, I, I think we should invest a lot more energy 
uh, into discovering as a, as a bin myself. I mean, I've been trying to do that since 2008, not as well as I would have liked, but, uh, I don't, you guys, I don't believe you guys, none of you guys were there in 2008. I'm not, I'm not sure, but, uh, it was actually, uh, something we decided actually, I, I kind of imposed it on the guys. And I said, guys, we need to take a lot of, we need to pay attention to web comics and we need to be the web comic place. It didn't happen in the end. Uh, we'll still, uh, but it, it, it is, some, it's always on the back of my mind that, you know what? I know that the innovation and everything that's going to come and probably let me use the word save comics is going to come from web comics. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, it's just, if there was a way that I could, it was easier maybe for, for me and other fans to discover that material. But I, I guess that's probably the type of work comic book bin should be doing. I mean, if I'm talking about it, I've, I've got all the powers in the world to actually do that stuff. Um, if there's one place that's, that's, I mean, cause like I say, other sites probably don't really like covering that stuff. Uh, but comic book bin has no problem with that guys. <laughs> Uh, no, I'll definitely take that torch. I, I'm telling um, you guys that I love web comics. If <laughs> if you make sure that I can discover your web comics easily, it will be covered. <laughs> <laughs> I hope people get the hint. <laughs> what hint? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, guys, it's been great talking with y'all tonight. Uh, yeah. Like we, yeah. We covered a lot of great topics tonight. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We covered the game. And <laughs> so, um, all right. I don't know what's happening this week uh, in comics. Uh, haven't been following a lot of stuff. Um, but I guess next week we'll probably meet around the same time um, and figure out some other topics. I mean, the, the topics tonight were so rich. Um but so, uh, Andy, I know you have a, a new Twitter account. Can you give it, give give people the name of your Twitter account? Um, I hardly even use it. I believe it's just Andy Frisk. Okay. Is there I'm an underscore somewhere? Is there an underscore? I believe. Um, might be. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll have that for you um, next time. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm more of a Facebook kind of guy than Twitter, but okay. um, I am on there, and it is Andy First Call on Word, so I'm easy to find. Okay. And uh, also, I won't be able to join you guys next week because I will be out of town, but I'll be more than happy to jump back in the week after. Okay. So, just uh, for everybody out there. Dan, uh, your Twitter yeah. account. Uh, my Twitter account, again, is uh, at Dan underscore Horn, H-O-R-N. Cool. Uh, mine is um, L'Adventurer. I tweet about a lot of things outside of comics, obviously. Mostly tech. I'm a tech guy. That's what I do for a living. I like tech. Um, and obviously the, 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 the main comic book bin uh, Twitter account, which is very simple, comic book bin. And as Dan mentioned, we do have the Facebook account also. Um, I, will, I have to say something. Uh, I hope uh, he's listening. We have one of our fans on Facebook that really wants us to make Comic Book Ben t-shirts. Wow, that would be awesome. <laughs> he, he, he's, I mean, actually, I have some. I have quite a few Comic Book Ben t-shirts, but you know what? I hear you. I hear you. Um, there's also those cool Comic Book Ben uh, baseball hat, which I had made last year, which you guys, they're, they're sitting in a box here. 
<laughs> yeah, I really want that hat, man. Uh, it yeah, is a cool like hat. That too. It's a, for uh, Comic Con. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a cool hat. I mean, it's it's it's. Well, you guys have seen the pictures. I mean, it's it's just <laughs> cool. It, it's our colors. It's completely us. Um, it's very cool. So they're sitting in a box. I need to get to the post office and start sending those guys because they've been sitting in a box since what since june it's ridiculous right now <laughs> um they have no excuse except being lazy that's all <laughs> that's a good excuse so um i'd like to say thank you to everybody for having showed up uh, while downloading uh, the second comic book bin podcast uh also i need to mention that andy Dome's um twitter account is andy donia uh, uh so I guess we'll be meeting next week or something like that. And thank you for downloading and listening to us, supporting us every week and every day. And don't forget to go download the Comic Book Bin apps. We have it for iOS, for Android, and WebOS. Please, those apps are completely important for you guys. It has a comic book store locator. It's got a convention listing, which I'm going to start updating more frequently right now, I promise. Um, and obviously all the latest articles from the comic book bin the moment an article is published at the comic book bin it's also published within the apps so even if we change a comment and article it's updated so you guys get the exact same content that you get on the phone on your phone than you get on the regular website and if you have a, a phone that doesn't support one of our platforms we have a mobile site that has the exact same content also um, so please go and download this stuff and use your mobile device with the bin. We're very friendly for that. And the, the bin has been geared for, what, at least two years and a half now for mobile. So come and use those resources because I know the other guys, they don't offer you that, we do. So um, that's all for this week. It was the Comic Book Bin Podcast and see you again. See you guys.